I am recording this podcast on Tongva land. Hello, my name is Jamaluddin Abdurim Barghouthi, and I am the true gay icon. Welcome to my podcast. In this podcast, I talk about really whatever I want, but mostly about Palestine, my experience as a queer Palestinian, and my life in general, and how being Palestinian and being queer and being Muslim has made my life interesting, <laughs> to say the least. I've tried recording this episode of this podcast three or four times, and I will say that it's just difficult to get my thoughts out sometimes. And there's all of these things in the back of my head that I'm going to get canceled, I'm going to be, you know, maligned, or that my perspective is going to be maligned. And ultimately, that is the work of the colonizer. My mind is colonized. I'm you know, I have been raised to believe that my perspective is less valuable, my uh, words are less valuable, my thoughts are less valuable, so I'm really trying to push back against that, against my own belief, against society's beliefs. So if you're listening to this, I really appreciate it. This is a constant work in progress. It's hard making a podcast, especially by yourself, because there's no feedback. I think if I was, you know, posting videos or places where people can comment, it's much easier to engage with people that way. Or if I had a co-host, I'd be able to kind of bounce back and forth off that. But when you're by yourself and talking about things that are traumatic and talking about things that are uh, emotional, it feels scary. Some of the things that I that I want to share and I want to talk about, people have you know ruined their entire careers, and not that I'm worried. You know, I I know that what I'm sharing is the truth. I know that my experience is real and is valid, and I am terrified because there are millions of dollars spent to keep the message I want to share from being shared. There are millions of dollars spent, people killed, people, you know, jailed, people uh, exiled and excommunicated for sharing their perspectives on the Palestine uh, uh, conflict, on the Palestinian occupation. So I've tried recording this episode several times. (laughs) I finally wrote out, you know, some bullet points to kind of keep me, uh, uh, keep me on track. This episode, I'm talking about pinkwashing and homo-nationalism. And those sound like really huge, crunchy words, and they are, um, but they are also related. Pinkwashing can't exist without homo-nationalism. Homo-nationalism, unfortunately, it really sets the stage for pinkwashing. And uh, I'll get into it a little bit later, but I think that in the US, we experience homo-nationalism a lot more than we might expect or we might think. Um, And I'm worried, I'm very cognizant, I'll say, of the words that I'm using in this 
podcast in general, just because I don't want to come off as just too academic, too chewy, too kind of dense to, uh, for people to feel comfortable with. I want it to be something accessible. And the reality is that the words that I have, the framework that I have to understand these tools come from an academic lens. And not to say that it's an academic lens because it's not my lived experience, but these are the words, these are the tools that I have, <laughs> you know, to explain it to people who are not queer and Palestinian, to people who don't see the issues with it. The things that I have to turn to are academia because there are papers written about this. And so there is a ton of information out there. I reached out to my community and asked for some advice and asked for some perspectives. And I got some really great resources, mostly in Arabic and some in English that speaks to this point directly. And as I was doing this research, it kept pushing me. It just like, I kept feeling like I need to make this, I need to make this because people don't understand how all of these things are connected. And it's really critical to to my audience, to me, that my audience understands how this impacts my life as a queer Palestinian. Because, because it does. Because homo-nationalism and pinkwashing as a queer Palestinian living in the West has a role in every facet of my life. So... Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. And let's get let's get into it. <laughs> All right. Pinkwashing is the strategy of promoting a perception of LGBTQIA rights protections as evidence of liberalism or democracy especially to distract from or legitimize violence against other countries or communities. So really that is pinkwashing is this idea of putting LGBTQ rights out front as evidence that, uh, that a country is developed or that an organization is developed. I'll take this more broad to start with. And, you know, this comes in many forms, for example, normalizing relationships with Israel in a queer context, just recently watching uh, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and one of the members of the pit crew was from Israel. And I thought it was weird that that's a call out for when this person was introduced they said all the way from israel with love but we don't get that intro for any other members of the pit crew i don't know where any of the other ones come from so it's weird to me that that's a specific call out and i think that it is again you know there's layers to it when it comes to rupaul and drag race in general but i think that it's evidence to me that there is a need to associate Israel and the Israeli identity with an LGBT identity. And that brings me to my second talking point today, uh, just a definition to get out the way, and that's homo-nationalism. Homo-nationalism is the exploitation of queer identity to justify racism and xenophobia. 
Uh, it can also be described as a favorable association of nationalism with LGBTQIA plus rights. And we've seen homo-nationalism as well, most recently in the, uh, the World Cup. There was this idea that Western activists had of Qatar and of the queer experience. The, I'm using queer as a catch-all term here. The queer experience within the Middle East is... It is, you know, one, homogenous, two, either non-existent or extremely under under the, um, you know, extremely in hiding, etc. I can't speak to the queer experience in Qatar, but neither can these white activists. And they were doing things like, you know, trying to get on media, on Qatari media to talk about LGBT rights and, you know, raising the rainbow flag and things and getting arrested and trying to do all of these things that come from a Western perspective that really fundamentally misunderstands Middle Eastern culture, as well as like what Middle Eastern, what Qatari queer people are looking for. It doesn't consult them. It doesn't elevate their experience. It just focuses the experience of a white queer person in the Middle East which is colonial in nature to me. And pinkwashing, I think, is really sinister because what I always think of is that Israel has the population of Michigan, maybe, you know, Maryland. How often do we hear news about <laughs> Michigan and Maryland? And yet Israel, a country of 11 million, 10, 10 to 11 million people, seems to be always in the news, uh, you know, for various reasons and always trying to be aligned with um, things that are forward thinking or progressive. And it's also frustrating to me because they want the best of both worlds. They want to be in Eurovision. They want to be considered European. They want to be seen as this, you know, European oasis. But then they also want to be considered the only democracy in the Middle East, the, you know, gay capital of the Middle East, et cetera. And that to me is part and parcel of the colonial mindset. They want it, it all. They believe that they are owed it all. And so I think that normalization of Israel and queer conversations and in, within the queer community always excludes a Palestinian perspective. And that's important for this project of Israel, of, of a colonial country, because they need to dehumanize Palestinians. They need to demonize Palestinians in order to make themselves seem legitimate and make, make their occupation of Palestinians seem legitimate. Uh, it's necessary to dehumanize Palestinians and portray them as less developed and backwards. We see this normalization in queer culture because of PR campaigns that have been run by the Israeli government since the launch of Brand Israel in 2005. Now for context, in 2005, Israel has just removed their illegal settlements from the area known as the Gaza Strip and really cementing a third class of Palestinians, officially sealing off Gaza from the rest of the world, making it effectively a large open air prison. At the, there was a huge kind of cultural shift. This is really the pivot where Israel as a country became 
they took a turn to the right. And I, for me, as particularly as a Palestinian, I will always say that they have been hyper conservative, colonial in nature, and really only focused on colonizing the entirety of, of what we call Balad the Shem of, uh, of the, you know, Palestine and the surrounding area. Uh, but this is also when they created another class of Palestinians by isolating the Gaza Strip from the rest of Palestine and from the rest of the world. And this served a purpose because now they were able to very effectively keep half of the population of, of Palestinians who live in Palestine, not including the diaspora, they were able to keep them in this walled off region um, kind of less, you know, remove their ability to fish from the ocean, remove their ability to bring in uh, uh, resources from Egypt or from the West Bank, remove their ability to communicate, etc. And then they started to bomb them. And so at this time, Israel is in this pivotal moment where they are starting to really uh, tighten their their grip on Gaza Strip, on the the you know Palestinian people as a whole. This is also right after the a very violent uprising in Palestinian history, the Second Intifada, and so there's a need to kind of dress up all of the violence, and that is where this idea of brand Israel comes from. Um, Israel needed to rebrand itself. And uh, at the time it had, and I quote from one of the, the organizations working with the state of Israel to rebrand itself, one of the worst brands that they had really ever seen. I don't want to spend too much time on Brand Israel because it is kind of an ongoing project. Um, but from the Wikipedia article, I will read just the very kind of leading paragraph. And I know, you know, Wikipedia is not a great citation, but anyway. Brand Israel is a pub public relations campaign run by the Israeli government to improve Israel's image abroad by showing Israel's quote unquote prettier face, downplaying religion and avoiding discussing the state's conflict with the Palestinian people. It hopes to counter foreigners' negative attitudes towards Israel. The goal of the campaign is to establish Israel as a cosmopolitan, progressive, westernized and democratic society, contrasting it with Islamic, homophobic and repressive surrounding nations. Also, just as a side, that is a, so that quote specifically comes from the book on homo-nationalism. And to me, using it in this context, it feels a little like out of context, saying that they are contrasting with the Islamic, homophobic, and repressive surrounding nations without understanding that that is a critique of the idea of homo-nationalism. It just reinforces the idea that all of these nations are Islamic, homophobic, and repressive, and therefore worthy of colonizing. Uh, responsibility for Brand Israel campaign is shared by three Israeli ministries, the Foreign Ministry, the Tourism Ministry, and the Strategic Affairs Ministry. 
Omar Barghouti, the co-founder of Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement, argue that Brand Israel campaign is designed explicitly to hide Israel's violations of human rights and international law under a guise of artistic and scientific glamour. So really, I mean, you know, Brand Israel was created in 2005 to to paint Israel as this progressive and, you know, LGBT friendly uh, uh, country when it really wasn't. I mean, we also then have, <clears throat> that's where pinkwashing really becomes a, a part of the uh, Israeli PR campaign. And pinkwashing has a duplicitous effect as well because it allows the state of Israel to seem progressive to outside perspectives while continuing to be extremely homophobic, and not just to queer Palestinians. Israel has no marriage equality. In fact, interracial marriage is illegal in Israel, as well as any marriage not through recognized religious institutions. Um, and, and it just, the role that Brand Israel plays is to normalize on kind of this soft skill side, um, Israel as, as a nation. And while it started in 2005, it is still very much going. I mean, recently in 2017, the Israeli government sponsored free Holy Land tours for 11 National Football League players. The Israeli tourism minister said that by visiting Israel, the players would serve as, quote unquote, ambassadors of goodwill and strategic affairs minister Gilad Erdan, that hosting influencers and opinion formers of international standing in different fields, including sport, was part of their fight against the BDS or boycott divestment sanction movement. Six of the 11 players actually pulled out of the trip. Michael Bennett, who was one of the players who refused to go, tweeted a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and wrote that he wasn't aware that the purpose of the trip was to make him, in the words of a government official, an influencer and opinion former who would then be an ambassador of goodwill. You know, I think that <laughs> it really speaks volumes that a government has to put money, has to put so much focus on fighting a boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that is completely grassroots and completely by the people. Now, if you're new to Palestinian advocacy, if you're new to uh, this conversation in general, I really support you to look up BDS. It was started by Palestinians, is supported by Palestinians, and is the only way forward, in my opinion, uh, because BDS is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions of any um goods whether they be you know tangible goods or even artistic goods uh and cultural goods that come from israel until israel is held accountable for their many 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 war crimes this i think is just the basic start i think you know stopping supporting israel whether it is not going there, whether it is not buying products that are made by Israeli, Israeli uh, uh, companies, not supporting Israeli artists when they come to this country. I think that making a statement that Israel and Israeli citizens need to be held accountable for the actions of Israel, for the actions that continue to give them the privilege of living on this colonized land and therefore allows them to create these works. I think that that... Um, is the most fundamental way that that action happens boycotts and 
you know, divestments and sanctions. The fact that there are laws actually in the U.S. that attempt to make boycotting Israeli goods illegal, I think should be a huge red flag. If any, you know, if any other nation, if any other country um, or any other group within the U.S., we were talking about boycotts and and sanctions and there was a huge attempt to make those boycotts and sanctions illegal, I think that there would be huge ramifications of that. I mean, there's very serious uh, uh, human rights infractions across the world, and there's still not, not, it's not illegal to boycott them. You know what I mean? And, and so to me, when I try to look at the Palestinian occupation, the occupation of Palestine from an outside perspective, I look at that and think, how can you justify that? How can you support a country that is trying to make it illegal to talk about the things they're doing? And I say that it is the country doing it because all of the legislation that uh, in the US that attempts to block BDS is backed by Israeli interest groups. And this is where it gets sticky <laughs> because it has such a larger ramification than the queer experience, than the LGBT community, than being a queer Palestinian, and you know, than having queens from RuPaul's Drag Race perform in Israel, etc. What it does is it normalizes the relationship between the US and Israel. The problem with that is that that relationship is built on exploitation. The largest export in the in Israel is security systems, security and defense technology. One of the largest adopters of those systems is the United States that has over 3 million people in prison, in for-profit prisons. The largest population, prison population, incarcerated population of any country in the world. So when we put these two facts together, that Israel is making technology for the prison industrial complex, it is their largest uh, uh, trade. And then we look at the U.S., who has to create systems to intentionally keep black and brown people in prisons in order to keep the economy running because there are other areas that are tied to the prison industrial complex or other industries tied to the prison industrial complex. It is modern slavery. I think a clearer picture emerges by normalizing relations, by normalizing tourism, by normalizing support for Israel, by normalizing the idea that Israel has a right to exist on a land that is colonized, that they colonized violently and they continue to violently colonize. They're continuing to displace people and to destroy homes and to remove people from their, their villages. We continue to support then the destruction of Palestine while also continuing to support the destruction of black and brown communities in the U.S. These overinflated military budget or, or, or police budgets that are military backed are 
directly related to Israel. There are countless numbers of United States uh, uh, police departments who are trained by Israelis. They use the same technology. They use the same tactics. They, the, you know, the many of their um, tactics, the tactics that United States police use to quell protests, to manage large crowds, are literally taught from experiences of Israelis who had to use those against Palestinians. There is a direct line between anti-cop, anti-police, anti, uh, uh, you know, the, the ACAB movement, <laughs> the Black Lives Matter movement, there is a direct link to the Palestinian experience. And when we overlook them by normalizing these experiences, by saying, well, there's queer people there, well, there's queer people who need to be spoken to. That's what I always hear from queens on, on Drag Race, that there's queer people uh, who, who live there who deserve to be heard. They're not their government, blah, blah, blah. But then the same energy is not given to Palestinians. There's nobody trying to book shows in Ramallah. There's nobody trying to create spaces for queer Palestinians you know, even outside of, of the experience in Israel. And when you have Palestinians telling you the best way to support us is by not going to Israel, and you tell them effectively to fuck themselves, that you're going to go and get your bag. Like, what is that? How am I supposed to feel a sense of community? And that makes me question whether or not you actually support indigenous communities in this country. Black and brown communities in this country who are negatively impacted by the prison industrial complex. So we're going to have queens that, you know, are all about activism and want to be woke and want to want to be um, progressive, but then turn a blind eye and not not just turn a blind eye, not just turn a blind eye, who actively make money on obfuscating the reality that's really important they make a bag by engaging in propaganda any show they play in israel is a show based in propaganda and i think that it is it reinforces this idea that palestinians are backwards that is a core tenant of uh, pinkwashing and of brand Israel. And I wanted to share as well another um, section talking about pinkwashing uh, as it relates to uh, the Palestinian experience. <clears throat> the Israeli government's marketing strategy includes Israel beyond the conflict, an attempt to promote aspects of Israeli life outside the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. According to Israeli gay rights activist Hagai El-Ad, in no other arena has that been used in a more cynical way than in the context of LGBT rights. According to Palestinian anthropo anthropologist Saeed Atshan, pinkwashing relies on logic based on four pillars. One, naming queer Israeli agency and eliding Israeli homophobia. Two, 
naming Palestinian homophobia and eliding queer Palestinian agency. Three, juxtaposing these contrasting queer experiences in Israeli and Palestinian societies as a civilizational discourse aimed at highlighting the superior humanity of the former and the subhumanity of the latter who deserve to be dominated. And four, representing Israel as a gay haven for Israelis, Palestinians, and internationals in order to attract tourism and other forms of solidarity and support. So it is not just that they are elevating themselves above everyone around them. That's on purpose to make the colonization of Palestinians seem needed, seem necessary. And that is the the colonizer handbook, the colonial handbook to treat us as uh, barbarians who are deserving of of, um, colonization, who need to be... Uh, brought into the modern era or whatever. In reality, what you have is these very traditional and conservative perspectives become a, when juxtaposed against occupation, become a way to distance yourself from Western influence. So within Palestinian communities, being queer is seen as as a product of Western influence. That is fear-based, and that is the job of the colonizer in order to make it that we're now infighting um, and deciding on what's right and what's wrong and who has the right to be Palestinian and who doesn't. And meanwhile, over a dozen Palestinians have been killed this year. It is January 21st right now. Over a dozen Palestinians have been killed. At least three of them children. So when I think about, you know, being gay and being Palestinian, pinkwashing and homonationalism really are at the core of it. Because... The amount of people who feel the need to tell me that Israel is a progressive country or that Israel is the only, you know, gay friendly country in the Middle East, etc. Without really knowing, without having any context outside of an Israeli perspective, which is propaganda. I think is telling. I think it, it is evident. And to me, if you want to support queer people, you should be supporting the most mar- marginalized queer people always. And so when I look at the Palestinian occupation, the most marginalized people are the the Palestinians who cannot live, who have no fucking future because of the occupation. So the idea that, you know, these drag queens need to go to Tel Aviv and, and perform for a bunch of colonizers to make them feel better that there's no gay rights in their country. Like that's all a perception of Western saviorism. And I would say white saviorism. It is, it is a recreation of white saviorism. I don't care the color of the skin or the, the ethnic origin of these queens who are performing because it is effectively furthering fascism and white supremacy by forcing 
queer people everywhere to look like queer people in the U.S. by validating the violence that Palestinians have experienced because of what? Because they cut you a check? And I think it's important, too, to be very, very careful because there are government-subsidized art shows in Israel. Part of this whole brand Israel cultural push is that there are government-subsidized art shows, cultural experiences. So if you're performing in this country, just be very aware of who's booking. Actually, don't. Don't perform. Go to Jordan. Go to Beirut. Perform there where there's Palestinians who can go and see you. If you're actually about it, if you want to play the both sides coin, be my guest. Go and perform wherever. I hope it's horrible. But also, if you're actually about it, book shows in Beirut. Book shows in Amman. But you're not about it. <laughs> this is my frustration. Nobody's ever about the Palestinians. Whew. I am. I love being gay and I love being Palestinian. And it is two of the most important aspects of my identity. And to me, being the true gay icon is being Palestinian. Because I cannot think of a more iconic lived experience than the Palestinian. Someone who has been stepped on, battered, pushed down, told they are less than, and yet we find a way to persevere. 75 years of violent displacement, of violent occupation, of people spitting in our face, stepping on us, shooting on us, choking us, strangling us, and we're here. And I'm here making this podcast, telling everybody my truth. My family has lived in Palestine for over 500 years. The history of my people, of my family, is that we left the Arab Peninsula to protect Palestine during the Crusades. And that's just my father's lineage. You know, my, my patriarchal lineage. My matriarchal lineage on my father's side, so my Palestinian grandmother, my Palestinian great-great-grandmother, etc. Who knows? Their history is not shared in the same way. But to live in a place for 500 years at least and to have it all ripped away from you and then to come to this country and, and be told, you know, the world is your oyster, you can do whatever you want, Oh, 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 but not like that, honey. Ooh, 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 but not that way. Ooh, ooh, and not that way. Like, it's so frustrating. And so I'm grateful to have this space. To that I'm grateful to have privilege to make these podcasts, to share my experience, to talk about these things, because they're real. They're tangible. These are not just like theories <laughs> these are decisions that are made by people by companies by businesses by you know uh, activists etc they have very real impacts on my life 
sitting in a group watching drag race and Israel's mentioned and my stomach drops and I can't, I like it. things are hazy and I can't think straight because I have PTSD. And it's, I'm not asking <laughs> for people to become activists. I'm asking for people to become more aware. I'm asking for people to really critically think, how does a country the size of Michigan, the population of Michigan, become the number one benefactor of all foreign U.S. foreign aid, the majority of U.S. foreign aid? How do they become worthy of billions of dollars a year from U.S. tax dollars? Tax dollars. That's U.S. citizen money made, paid out of our checks to a country of 11 million people. Nine to 11. You know, there's debate. A country that doesn't have is not rich in natural resources they're not brimming with petroleum they're not brimming with you know whatever you make batteries out of what is it there is a cultural perspective and the prison industrial complex the gaza strip is the largest open air showroom of defense technology in the world. And every year, the Israelis make sure to show all of the new technology they've developed, all the new ways they've come up with to kill Palestinians. And you can have them in your backyard for the low, low price of an increased police budget. These things are connected. They're, they don't happen in a silo. And so my biggest ask is to just really think critically. When you hear Israel come up, what's the context? Who's saying it? Who's sharing it? Is it important? Is it relevant? Or does it seem like it's just kind of shoehorned in? Why is it shoehorned in there? What is the perspective that's that's being pushed? Uh, anyway, <laughs> this episode is really hard to, to record uh, because, as I said at the beginning, it's just very, like, dense topic very uh difficult to summarize and to talk about and the more that i put it off the more that life just kept shoving it in my face that this is what i need to talk about if you enjoyed this episode uh share it with a friend who also might enjoy it. if you learned something share it with a friend share it with me share with me what you learned i would love to hear you can send me a comment uh, on my Instagram at TrueGayIcon, or you can send me an email, TrueGayIcon at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at TrueGayIcon, TikTok at TrueGayIcon. But uh, thank you so much. I'll be back eventually with another episode where I'll probably be talking some shit. <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much.